I will feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore. Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. We worship at Island Creek Elementary School, 7855 Morning View Lane, every Sunday at 10 a.m. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. in nearly a year. The pandemic has had everyone on edge, and rightly so. Out of love for others, we have been practicing social distancing. But I was having one of those weeks recently, after my vaccination, where the risk and reward was necessary. I needed to meet up with a friend, to be in person, to break bread, to share stories, to laugh, to be present. I needed friendship. C.S. Lewis, a British author and lay theologian, known most famously for works like the Chronicles of Narnia, once penned, to the ancients, friendship seemed the happiest and most fully human of all the loves. The crown of life, and the school of virtue. The modern world, he writes, in comparison 
ignores it. Over the last several weeks, during Eastertide, the season where we recount Christ's appearances, we have been exploring together how Jesus still shows up in our lives today through ordinary moments that lead to extraordinary encounters with the divine. This week, we are spending time looking at friendships. In 1978, researchers Russell, Paplau, and Ferguson published an article in the Journal of Personality Assessment entitled, Developing a Measure of Loneliness. In this article, the researchers set up a focus group that took a test based on a series of 20 questions. You can still find this questionnaire via a simple Google search under UCLA Loneliness Scale. The results were pretty shocking. It found that a large population of people noticed that their preferred levels of friendship were not met. In short, most people, regardless of physical interactions, feel lonely. As the results of this study have been utilized since the 1980s, social researchers have found that each new generation has become the loneliness generation. Hence, the loneliest generation is the one we're raising right now. The effects of loneliness are quite perplexing. Correlations are found in persons experiencing high levels of loneliness with poverty, job burnout, chronic diseases, physical inactivity, and even early death. Of course, the remedy was to find a better balance of sleep, work, family time, time with friends, and what we would call me time. But what they also found was that persons living in poor conditions often have harder times finding these balances, which lead to more difficult roads to move out of poverty. You see, I tell you this information because for the last year, we have found ourselves in unprecedented times of social distancing. For a generation that is already experiencing loneliness and unfulfillment in our interpersonal relationships, we have got to come to terms with the hard reality that the last year has led to an effect that will take researchers years to determine the overall detrimental outcomes of a year spent apart. This is one of the major reasons why I think scientists made a poor choice of terminology when they chose the term social distancing as the phrase needed for curbing the pandemic. The last thing we need as a society is to be less social. Sure, physical distancing is a good and needed thing, but there is something very holy and necessary in our interactions with one another. One of the most basic ways that I love to interact with people is by grabbing drinks or tacos with friends. It seems so simple, and yet the very act of sharing time and space with another human being opens me to encounter the divine in my midst. My spiritual gift, as Rudy Rasmus would call it, is the gift of hanging out. You see, eating tacos on Taco Tuesday, grabbing coffee or other beverages can become moments of grace 
that need not be ignored. These moments should not be considered as optional when time permits, but should be prioritized just as one would prioritize eating well, getting physical exercise, or practicing spiritual disciplines for the betterment of oneself. Madeline Leinge talks about friends of the right hand. These are friends whose lives are bundled up with ours. The type of friends that know the good, the bad, and the ugly about us, and yet still choose to show up when we ask them to. These friends are few and far between for the most of us. And the reality is that as we age, it gets harder to find them because our priorities tend to shift and our social dynamics lead us into uh, less interpersonal uh, places to find them. Yet these friends, I am convinced, are tangible signposts of grace upon grace. And just like a garden, they need to be nurtured for our own well-being. Last week, I, I talked about how food is reciprocal. That food not only benefits the one receiving it, but also draws us into closer relationship with the ones who helped produce it and get it to the point of our dinner tables. You see, friendships are also reciprocal as well. There is nothing worse than a friendship that is dominated by taking without the reciprocal nature of giving as well. You see, when I go out to grab dinner with a friend, my expectation is that we will engage in a call and response relationship, if you will. And what I mean by that is that we will tell each other openly and honestly over and over again who we are, and who God is. It's where we get into the muck and mire of life with each other. We hear each other's stories, and we speak the good news of God's presence to one another. Humans and humanity need this type of interaction. Zacchaeus, in our scripture lesson today, had one of these friendship moments. Zacchaeus heard that Jesus had come to town and wanted to get a glimpse of him. Zacchaeus was a tax collector, and as a result, not many people liked him very much. He had, let's call it, some baggage in his life. Still yet, he wanted to see Jesus. But being a short man, he had some trouble. So he climbed up into a sycamore tree to get a better view. Little did Zacchaeus know, but he was about to find himself hosting a new friend at his home. Jesus called out to Zacchaeus and told him he was coming over, presumably for dinner. I like to assume it was for tacos and wine myself. It was in this moment, two friends gathered together, that the magic began. Two friends sitting down with each other in mutual reciprocity. One sharing hospitality and the other sharing the harder message of truth. But both were giving and both were receiving. 
Some religious folks looked on and stirred their pot with their comments, but what they failed to see was that in the moment of two friends hanging out, there was new life emerging. Zacchaeus had been transformed by this holy friendship. Standing up, Zacchaeus offers to repay four times the amount he cheated from anyone and to give half of his possessions to the poor. You see, Zacchaeus offered confession and restitution. Jesus offered salvation and wholeness. Two friends giving and receiving from one another. You see, friendships are important because they model for us the ongoing work of the church through the power of the Spirit. I come from a predominantly evangelical background, which taught me that the role of the church was to bring me into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, certainly a personal relationship is important, but as author Tish Harrison Warren states, when we come to see the church as simply being a voluntary organization of people who gather together to work on their personal relationships with Jesus, then all of a sudden the church becomes, at best, optional. In a recent article in the Washington Post, it was noted that for the first time in American history, there are fewer than 50% of Americans who identify themselves as Christians. The number they reported was something like 47% the vast majority of the Christians today being either black or Hispanic. Studies show that the year of many churches being virtual will have lasting impacts beyond 2020 and 2021 around church attendance, especially the number of people who will actually return. This is a sad reality for us to be experiencing because what is central to our faith, that is the body of Christ, has taken a back seat as an optional experience in the life of faith. You see, our friendships model for us the role of the church. We gather week after week, not with strangers, but with fellow sojourners or pilgrims on a journey. When we gather, we tell truths to each other. We share meals with each other. We drink from the same cup, share the same loaf, confess our corporate sin, and receive our corporate forgiveness. The church is a community of right-hand friends. When we gather, we acknowledge that we are in this together. Every single one of us, all of us, those in the room, those who have gone before us, and those who are yet to come. We gather because we need each other. But there is one other piece about friendship that is also important to note. And that is that oftentimes in friendships, we hurt each other. There are times of brokenness and fragility, of pain and of hurt, of discomfort. And there are moments where we need a little break. Almost every fight I got into as a child was with my best friend, the same one from last week that smelled like waffles. We would fight with each other. And my mom would make us sit on opposite ends of the room to take a break from each other. And we would calm down. And then she would remind us that whatever it was that was separating us in the moment 
wasn't worth falling out of relationship with each other for the future. You see, what I know for certain is that the longer you hang around the church, the more likely you are to pick up a few bumps and bruises along the way. Sometimes this progresses into serious scars. It isn't pretty and it certainly hurts. And I know we all wish it would be different. Flannery O'Connell writes that you have to suffer as much from the church as for it. And the only thing that makes the church endurable is that somehow it's the body of Christ and on it we are fed. You see, when we gather as the body, broken and bruised, frayed and strayed, we don't just gather and accept it for what it is, but we acknowledge what it is becoming. An acknowledgement that we look at it and we see its brokenness, we see its sin, we see the shame, and we see its misuse of power, but we also simultaneously see it as something that's being born, something resurrected, something brought into something beautiful and more perfect than what it currently is. And this comes from the reciprocal nature of friendships. The body of Christ is an intentional process of gathering with a people, even a people we don't like, people who have hurt us, and we become willing to be truth tellers to each other story holders for one another, and grace givers to one another. Friends, if healing can't happen in the church, if people of polar opposite spectrums can't learn to share bread, offer hospitality, and extend grace to one another, then I promise you there really isn't much hope for our world. Missiologist Leslie Newbegin writes that none of us can be made whole until we are made whole together. So you see, when I'm at my wit's end, when all seems to be falling apart, what I need is tacos and drinks with a friend, a sacred space of sharing and honesty, a place where I can be heard and a place where I can be healed, a space where I can air out the dust of my life and a space where I can receive the dust of another's. This is the task of the church, the center of holy friendships, the meeting grounds of grace. Our salvation is not worked out in the cosmic realm alone, but it's worked out in the hard pews, those chairs, or those park benches when we meet together in the mess of the world and we learn to give and receive the presence and the humanity of the other who stands before us. May it be so. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Friends, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, you have called all of us from different walks of life, different experiences, to enter into this holy friendship we call the church. It's a beautiful, sacred ground of diversity 
and we're better because of its diverse nature. It's a space where we gather together with people who we perhaps we normally wouldn't hang with. Or had it not been for the church, our lives wouldn't have come into contact with one another. For some of us, we already love each other from the very beginning. And for others of us, we find it a little bit harder to love and to like each other. And yet, week after week, we still join together in this sacred space to be truth tellers, to be story holders, to be givers and receivers of grace. Bless, O oh God, the Kingstown Communion and all of those who gather around her table. Bless the community in which she dwells and those whose lives she comes into contact with. And hear us, O oh God, as we pray to you the prayer that your son Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Table of the Lord. There is peace at the table.